Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, December 8th, which I'd like to remind our Catholic listeners is a holy day of obligation. This is the feast of the Immaculate Conception. Victor, we're not going to get into that. We're not well, I was just reading, it. I'm writing a book with a chapter on Tenochtitlan. I was reading about uh, the Cortez two-year effort to conquer Tenochtitlan, which became Mexico City. Right. And almost every three days, it's the it's a the <laughs> feast of the, right. and the conquistadors have to stop. And there's, I mean, it's it's almost yeah. every third or fourth day. Those feast days still exist. Well, there's a different, yeah, of course. Yeah, our last podcast was on the feast day of St. Nicholas. So there's a difference between what is a feast day and in Roman Catholicism, I'm sure some some uh, of the Orthodox churches, days of obligation where you must attend Mass outside of Sunday. Uh -huh. So the, on December 8th is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. So what happens Catholics, on so December 8th? We, you're supposed to go to church. It's obligation. And do you, have a fe do you have a feast with anybody? No, it's not a feast. It's not a feast day, It's a, but it's a holy day. What's it's a feast a day? Do you actually have a feast day where you eat with people? Uh, so, well, it depends on your traditions, I guess. You know, uh, uh, certain cultures will will have. Well, this is the patron saint of our town. It's the feast day of Saint So and So, and we have a carnival or the feast of San Gennaro in New York City. You know, we're all <laughs> down down in the old mob district down there in Lower Manhattan uh, is one of the more better known ones. Although I think it's kind of comical. So I think uh, I, I think you're getting back so to the original meaning of feast. It comes from Latin. I think it comes from Latin festus. 
which yeah. doesn't, you know, which means celebration rather than eating. So well, okay. We get fiesta, um, you know, fiesta from it. I've, you're the you're the philologist. I defer to you on on, on all these things. So, well, um, anyway, there's, well, there's a there's a distinction between uh, uh, the holy days of obligation. Those are there are there are eight or so in in Catholicism outside of Sundays where you have to go to church. But I think I mentioned that once about etymologies. I had a class in Athens. Yes. When I was 19 or 20 with the great classicist H.D. Kittle, who wrote a best-selling book called The Greeks. Among other books, he wrote a good book on Sophoclean tragedy and one on hiking through northern Greece. But he was in his 80s, and he was a philologist, and, and he would always ask us for etymologies. I was right. pretty good at it. There was about eight of us, but boy, he's, he was trying to get more and more difficult. So once he said... And we were in this tall building. There was a tree outside. And he said, almost anything has an etymology that goes back to Greek. You wouldn't believe it. And so I said, look at the squirrel outside. Squirrel, it sounds French, right? S-Q-U-I. Right. Yeah. Greek. Right. He said, oh, Mr. Hansen, i.e. Mr. Smarty Pants. Right. So squirrel is not a Greek word. And I said, no. And he said, you know what skia means? And I said, yes, it means shadow. You know what oros means? I said, it means tail. You think this squirrel has a shadowy uh, tail? I said, a squirrel? Squirrel? And he said, yes, it is. And I, you know, we looked it up right there and he was right. Well, that's... you. I'm not going to comment. He would walk up six flight of stairs when he was 86 and each... Each step got slower and slower and slower. And we were all, you know, we were 20, so we were cutting up an advanced Greek class in Sophocles Ajax. Uh, no, it was in the Oedipus. But, uh, excuse me, it was in the Antigone. But we did look at the Ajax and um, Oedipus just peripherally. Anyway, he was walking up the stairs, and as he got slower and slower, he came in one day, and he smiled at us and said, oh, you think? Uh, I'm going to throw a bone to old Charybdis today, meaning he was going to be in the underworld feeding the dog that <laughs> guards the gates of hell. Oh, sure. Right. And we said, <laughs> he said, not this day, not this day. He was a pretty funny guy. Um, you imagine teaching at 86, Victor? No, I couldn't well. even teach it. I'm 69. <laughs> I'm not a very good teacher anymore at all. But uh, yeah. my God, 20, oh, it was during the oil embargo and they had no Greece was boycotted as a NATO member of 1973 after the uh, Yom Kippur War, and you couldn't use your electric heaters. It was barred and because there was no metering you paid by. They didn't have individual meters for each apartment. Okay. And so he was so cold, his wife and he, and you weren't supposed to plug in, and he was a, had a, what they call a on It was a below the, the surface subterranean apartment so when you walk you know those kind where you see the windows or where sure. your feet, feet are they have them right. don't they? Yeah. yeah so anyway it was down there and it was nighttime and you know kids stay up late and you could see a red glow and we were all freezing to death and then we said we should turn him in <laughs> oh said, gosh oh, you can't turn him in you can't turn him in you can't turn him in he's got to be warm Right. Because he needs, maybe he's violating the rules, but 
kept turning in. There are people that that live to turn in other people. So yeah, uh, there was a Karen or two back in fifty <laughs> years ago, in my experience. But we talked, sure Karen we has talked him years. out of not turning in. He didn't like Mr. Kittle. I like Mr. Oh. Kittle. Well, Victor, I need to begin the. We've begun the show. Obviously, we're about eight minutes into it, but I have to say, we're going to talk about certain topics and not the Immaculate Conception. I just and not Festus either. Yeah, but we we we're going to talk about some some suicide issues, uh, um, reparations, and uh, California, oh my God, California, reparations. and maybe even if we have a little time, the B, the new B twenty one bomber, and we'll get to. Most, if not all, of these important matters right after these important messages. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash victor50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, Head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. It's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or... Visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Uh, today is, should be, when you're listening to it originally anyway, it's aired on Thursday, December 8th in the year 2022 of 
our Lord. So, Victor, you uh, let's start. Uh, I've got three suicide kind of topics. And we start at a broad national level and then down to a cultural level and then down to a, a personal level. And the national level begins with a piece uh, you've written, Implying Suicide, Self-Inflicted Death, and it's titled, um, If You Really Wanted to Destroy the United States. And in, in this, you have, I mean, from the very first word, there's like part one, it's a 10, ten uh, examples of uh, self-inflicted national suicide. Uh, I, was, I was doing a great facsimile of suicide. Victor, would you talk about this piece and why you wrote it? Well, I was kind of frustrated because everybody, did, because of his Build Back Better uh, near win and the Inflation Reduction Act win, and then his um, his being Joe Biden, of course, his ability to withstand the Republican tsunami. They were all, they being the left, the media, the DNC nexus, they were all bragging that he's got a great presidency. So I thought, you know, what if he wanted to destroy the United States? You really wanted to weaken it and you wanted to do it pretty quickly. What would you do? And out of that, I just imagine that you do pretty much what Joe Biden did. And so I went through what you would do specifically. I think you would just say, we have no immigration law. It doesn't exist. And we don't believe in borders. We're all one continent, one people. And we're going to let in two or three million people illegally. Illegally, each according to some data that requires ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year in federal and state support, and we're in a pandemic, and we're firing people that don't have vaccinations, and we're not going to test people, and we're not going to ask them to be vaccinated. And if that's not enough, we're going to say, you know, we really didn't like that energy independence that we have for the first time in history. So, since fossil fuels are too hot. We're going to destroy the fossil fuel. We're going to cancel Anwar, cancel Keystone, never build the Constitution natural gas line to New England. We're going to tell our allies, no East Med pipeline. No, if you're an African country like Guinea, we're not going to develop your fossil fuel industry anymore. We're just going to screw fossil fuels over. And guess what? You're going to pay. I just filled up yesterday uh, six. 20 for diesel fuel and gas was about back up to 515 in yes. California. Well, We're going to get prices yeah. high like Stephen Chu promised. Right. And that's not the end of it. That's the very beginning. Maybe inflation was sort of good, Jack. It was 6 to 7%. Those who have money who shouldn't, they have too much. So it's going to be worth less. And you're going to spread, as Barack Obama said, we're going to spread the wealth. And maybe crime is just a construct. It, you know, if there's a crime, as I said before in this broadcast, if there's a crime against stealing a candy bar or going into Walgreens and taking a, shamey, a shaver and some blades or some antihistamine, that's because wealthy people who make the laws don't do that. So they make laws against things that don't apply to them, but apply to people who are poor or victims of various illiberality. So that's what our legal system is. And let's just get rid of it. So if you take an axe or something and you destroy something or you attack somebody in the subway, you can get out uh, on the first day. First day of, I guess, the first day you're arrested. There's not going to be any penalties. 
And maybe if you really wanted to weaken the democracy or constitution public, you'd go after the election system. So you would add ranked voting and you would have majority voting like Georgia and you would have mail-in voting and early voting and absentee voting. And the result would be that there wouldn't be any need for IDs. The Republicans are fighting just a silly battle over IDs when 70% don't have any IDs and never will have any IDs. And you're going to destroy confidence in the system because you're not going to find the results, as right. we learned in Arizona for days or even weeks. I'd get rid of, if I really wanted to destroy the United States, I'd get rid of the melting pot. I'd bring in as many people from different backgrounds maybe 50 million in the United States that were not born here, and maybe 27% of the population of California. At a time when I would junk civic education, I would discredit the melting pot, no more assimilation or integration, and I would emphasize former Yugoslavia-like tribalism. So we all identify by our superficial appearance and see how that works out, if you really wanted to do it. Yeah, destroy the United States. So I went on and it wasn't very original in the sense that I just systematically, whether it was crime or the elections or, you know, Afghanistan or begging countries like Venezuela, Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia to pump oil that we have in abundance, but won't uh, push or pub produce or maybe going after the First Amendment, as we see with the FBI colluding with Facebook and social media or what Elon Musk is doing now and his exposing what Twitter was doing uh, or, or what campuses do with the First Amendment or the way that we have no discussion at all about the origins of COVID. And we have this weird suicide pact uh, in our foreign policy with China. But I just went through all of things that are going on that are destroying the country. And then I didn't answer the question, which a couple of people in the comments uh, I noticed were angry about because they said it was incumbent upon me to say whether this was deliberate or not. Well, I mean, the protocol was deliberate, but the $4,000 question is when the Biden administration destroyed the border and created inflation and destroyed energy self-sufficiency and humiliated us in Afghanistan, left all that stuff behind that green-lighted green -lighted Vladimir Putin a few months later. And we see this new attitude toward crime, which is non-enforcement of the law. Was that deliberate? Yes. Was it deliberately intended to destroy the United States because they hate it? Or do they think they love the United States and this is saving it? And I didn't answer that question. Because I don't know. I think it. Make, I think there are true believers who believe it's going to make a fair and just society, and they're just delusional, but criminally right. delusional almost. And then there's people who just want to screw things up. Right. And I don't know the percentage how that breaks down among the people that support what Biden is doing. It's interesting you mentioned the comments, Victor, of that in, of the piece. Which, by the way, the piece is your uh, op-ed. You write it for American greatness, but you. It's also up on your website, victorhanson.com. And um, so the comments are from the website. And this one, Michael Larkin, he he, he put a link in there for um, something very similar that Colorado Governor Richard Lamb had done 
He it did. seems like 30, 35 years ago, which is kind of weird because Lamb, I think, was also at the time, uh, well, he was known for being, you know, governor of Colorado, but I think he was also quite an advocate. We're talking about suicide in a way. A little couple I know, of, but he, he was, was a, a very strange guy. Uh, yeah. He, he called me up when I wrote Mexifornium in 2002. And I got, I, I want to say that this, I have done this before, this type of methodology, if you really wanted to do something meaning this is how you do it. But he did it too. And right. he called me up about immigration. He was just fanatic in the good sense about enforcing borders and the melting pot. And everybody had to become a citizen through the normal process and greenlighting legal immigration and stopping absolutely. And he was a Democrat. And he called me and I was. he said, I'm going to be speaking and I'd like you to be come to Colorado and speak. So this is like 2004, three. So I, I went there and he gave a talk and he said, if you really wanted to destroy the United States and he let, but it was all on immigration. And the last thing he said was, I would, I would uh, ban Mexifornia. I would not let anybody read it. And what? I, yeah. And I would go after the author, Victor Hansen. So it was kind of funny. I mean, he was, trying to be very friendly by saying that the Mexifornia that had just come out was a great book, but it was kind of a surprise to me. And I, and oh. I didn't know he was going to do it. So it was kind oh, of funny. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it was good. It was nice of him. And I, I really liked that. And uh, I liked him. Well, in the comment, I want to recommend go, go to the comments in this article listeners, and you'll find the link. It's, it's like a two and a half minute uh, lamb what I would do, yeah, uh, allow a lot of people in, make sure that you have bi bilingual, make sure we have no melting pot, essentially, uh, say, uh, make make sure that every community, not geographical community, but ethnic community retains its uh, ethnic ethnicity as opposed to becoming Americans. You know, so it was, very, it was really... Uh, I don't uh, think they have guys like him anymore, you know, in the Democratic Party. I don't. And he but was, could you uh, could you imagine a Republican? Well, maybe one or two. We could imagine a Republican saying anything like that today. You know, uh, no, uh, you know, yeah. I, and he was. I I just remember the reason I brought him up. He died, I think it was last year, and I remember reading his obituary. Yeah, in his eighties, but he ran for president, I think, too. Um, on that weird, you remember in the nineties there was this third way. Oh yeah. That it was going to be, you know, market capitalism, but social welfare and all this. It was, and he was one of those guys. And he, I think he, they had something called the Reform Party that he ran on or something. Yeah, uh, but, uh, he, he he was he was the last generation of Democrats that were strong on defense and all that, and then right. were starting to incorporate liberalism. But after, I mean. He was kind of like Jerry Brown during Jerry Brown's first term. And then Jerry Brown, unlike Lamb, saw what was coming. So he became woke in the second time he went around. Right. Well, interesting character. Um, and by the way, again, in interesting piece, uh, Victor. So um, let's move on to uh, kind of the next suicide -y thing, which actually has the word uh, 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 suicide in it. So our my, my friend uh, Naomi... Schaefer Riley, uh, who I've talked about before. I mean, Naomi's a terrific soul. She writes all over, but she frequently writes for the, the Wall Street Journal. And she's got a piece in today's journal. And today is December 3rd, so it's the weekend edition. And she has a very long 
uh, interview piece on John uh, Agresto, uh, the um, academic and, and, and scholar, and it's titled The Suicide of the Liberal Arts. And, and Agresto has a new book out. It's called The Death of Learning, How American Education Has Failed Our Students and What to Do About It. And Victor, I just want to read quickly two little uh, uh, paragraphs from Naomi's piece and then get your thoughts about this uh, broad uh, theme that Agresto is making about kind of a defense of the liberal arts, but not the specialization of the liberal arts. Here's what uh, the piece says. He, Agresto, classifies the death of the liberal arts as suicide, not murder. Americans regarding themselves as practical people, have always been suspicious of the liberal arts, Mr. Agresto says. Today's inflated prices make them even more so. Quote, a liberal education, thanks to the infinite wisdom of the university and college administrators, costs as much as getting an engineering degree, but with little in the hope of secure future recompense, he writes. End quote. Recent trends within the academy have exacerbated the problem. Start with specialization, especially the growing prevalence of obscure theory and criticism, which tends to crowd out great works. In the book, he asks, quote, if it was once hard for a graduating college senior to convince a prospective employer that studying Shakespeare and Cicero was useful, how much more difficult? is the task when the fringes of graduate school are pushed down into the undergraduate curriculum, end quote. So, Victor, you're somebody in every way who has, like, immersed himself in a specialization in, in, the, in the field of from the broader liberal arts. But I cannot believe that Victor Davis Hanson, the classicist, does not think uh, – yeah, Shakespeare is important, knowing that, and and military history is important. The whole, you know, these the the broader range of liberal arts is 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 an important backdrop to just general knowledge, not necessarily even a, you know college education, but general knowledge. So, anyway, uh, Victor, the suicide of the liberal arts uh, is it is it committing suicide? Yeah, it is because thing? you have all these fresh minds that come into college. And they, they've had no experience with the liberal arts, given the quality of their high school educations. And when they first look at the Odyssey, or they get they read the Inferno, if it's taught well, or if they read Beowulf, or Gilgamesh, or any work in what used to be humanities A and B, i.e. from antiquity all the way to the present, they get excited because... They see great minds that describe the human experience in ways that are both real and abstract. And then they say to themselves, I'm not, I'm like Antigone, or I have the same flaws as Oedipus. So it's a way of taking a person's, uh, you know, confused reaction to the world around them and making order of it. And it takes emphasis off the individual. He says, I'm not the most important person in the world. This has happened before, or I'm part of this long, panorama of the West. So it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. But if you take that tragedy and that human experience, which is what the, is the, is the gist of literature, and you turn it into melodrama, and you teach it like, okay, we're going to take the Odyssey, and this was written by a white male patriarch society. So our purpose is to give a voice to Eumaeus, the slave. And we're going to find out who is culpable. 
And we're not going to talk about Penelope in traditional male, sexist, one-dimensional terms. She is discriminated against. She's shackled. She has to be responsible for the how she gets. She's loyal. She's not promiscuous like her husband, who's off on a lark, this 10-year little return home from Troy. And if you do it like that, then you you destroy the beauty of it and the nuance of it and the ambiguity of it. And you make it into a Stalinist tool to advance a particular ideology. And in the practice, it's much easier for you because you're not going to have to know the text very well. You just give the narrative. And the student then just says, yes, yes, because they need to get past the course. And you destroy the liberal arts. And that's what they're doing. There's no interest in it. And they're not advocates for it because they're, they're facing a contradiction, Jack. It is based on the university's FTE processes, full-time equivalent enrollment. Well, you get points even in private Tony schools for the students that take your class. So no university can afford to offer, let's say, Pindar in Greek with two students, unless it's subsidized by introduction to the humanities with 50 students. But if you take that, you 50 students, and you turn it into a dull, dry, propaganda, woke exercises, they're going to walk, and they are walking. And then you don't have the FTE, FTE to balance the specialized courses, which is why Princeton University has just said, you know what? You don't even know, need to know Greek. You don't need to know it to be a classics major. And that's what's happening in the liberal arts. And it's very funny because it's not just suicide, it's cannibalism. But it's a weird kind of cannibalism because the people who are doing this are tenured. They have these positions no matter what. They can't get rid of them. But they've destroyed the field for all these PhD candidates who have been taught by people like them at the research universities, they're not, there's no jobs. And so they're trying to get a job and there's no jobs because they destroyed interest in it. Yeah. And they've made it, they've done the impossible. They've turned a very exciting, wondrous experience into dull, dry, drip, 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 Stalinist orthodoxy. You know, I was on a farm and I was kind of a bookworm in a very rural, small town school. But when I went to UC Santa Cruz my first semester and I had this professor, John Lynch, and people like Mary Kay Orlandi, Gary Miles, it opened up a whole new world. I took uh, the core course and my God, I had never read Sophocles. We read Antigone. We read the Odyssey. We read the Iliad. We read the Inferno. It was just opened up a whole new world. There was no ideology at this left-wing university. There was no therapy. It was rigorous, rigorous. You had to write five essays. They corrected your grammar, your syntax, your content. And when you talked and gave your report, they corrected your grammar. And then you had to know the text. But you, it wasn't just gotcha type of courses. It was, this is what the tragic hero was trying to do in the Iliad. Right. This is the difference between Achilles and Hector. These are two elements of the human experience. This is what, why are Calypso or Circe, what are all these outsiders? Why are they so weird on islands and they don't partake in the, the experience? This was really exciting. I just, it yeah. changed my life, but we're not doing that anymore.
And it, we're destroying this suicide and cannibalism. We're destroying yeah. the humanities. And these people are not well-trained. And one of the big secrets about wokeism is when you look at the grading policies and you look, i.e., they're watered down and they're called equity grading. And when you look at the abandonment of the SAT or the GRE or the ACT or the LSAT, and when you look at the use of quote-unquote community service in lieu of GPA or SAT, or you make all high schools' GPAs the same in competitive admissions, or when students enroll, you just go off, off what we used to call OT, off-topic. Right. Tell little stories about yourself and how cruel the world is treat cruelly the world has treated you. There's a big, there's a common denominator. It's easy. It's easy. So we we veneer this and paste over this idea that it's wokeism, it's progressivism, it's re readdressing injustice. No, it's not. It's laziness. It's lazy. You just go out, it's a bull, yeah. it's a one <laughs> big bull session. Yeah. And I really understood that when I retired at 49, it had started in 2004. And I had noticed that when we had a classics position and we looked at the applications and we interviewed people for the first time, I hired as early as 1986, 88, 90. And by God, when we had people, they, these 25 and 28 and 30, they were well prepared. And they, if they came out of the University of Texas PhD program or the Yale, they were great. Right. But by the, 2004, it was very clear that when they interviewed, whether it was at the American Philological Association or they visited, they did not know Greek and Latin very well. And right. their topics were irrelevant. They were all about the poetics of masculinity or the construction of manhood, et cetera, et cetera. And boy, you so could they, ask them questions. You could just say, why did the Mycenaean Empire collapse? What's the Mycenaean Empire? <laughs> how far is Sparta from Athens? <laughs> Who was the architect of the Parthenon? Right. How did Athenian democracy work? Why do we have more plays of Euripides than Aeschylus and Sophocles? Why is Pindar a difficult poem structurally, philologically, grammatically, syntactically? And do you, why did Thucydides not finish his eighth book of the history? And they can't answer that. They could not answer one of those questions. Very those mean of you to ask. Yeah, yeah, people would ask those questions. Yeah. I would teach kids, mostly first generation from Mexico, and the questions they would ask is, "Hey, Professor Hansen, I like, I like Achilles, but uh, where in the hell is Thessaly? What's that mean?" And you would have to know where Thessaly, and you explain it. But if you don't right. have any training in that, because you're woke, and you're learning about, as I we discussed earlier in an earlier podcast, Foucault did. Michael Foucault's system of thought, or you're talking about post-structuralism or now wokeism, then you don't have time to do the essentials. And yeah. you're strangling your own discipline. You're destroying but, it systematically. I have to believe most people think that they're not on the top of the head at, at some level down deep that if you have a PhD today, I mean, you do, but I mean, if you're more younger with a PhD, it might mean you're, you're either... Um, uh, we, a weirdo or or an or a dumbass even to some extent just because you have a phd does not mean you are 
intellectual and that we've heard over and over these kind of what what the thesis this guy's thesis was on you know this kind of navel gazing i'll tell you one the the guy who was running the he was head of the theology the religion department at holy cross my alma mater it got this got some notoriety a couple of years ago wrote his thesis um saying that the crucifixion was a incestuous homoerotic act of God the Father sodomizing his son on the cross. And you think like, okay, um, gosh, this is a freaking weirdo. You know, so what is it? PhD equals weird, equals lame, equals, you know, I, I, it doesn't imbue anymore the idea of knowledge. No, I looked so. at where I, where I got my PhD. I, when I went to Stanford as a graduate student at 21, 1975 i looked at the thesis and the the theses in the library they were wonderful there were things like the historiography of epaminondas meaning how do we know anything about him a guy named gordon shrimpton wrote a, a brilliant thesis and they were things about the tribute system of the athenian empire but when i look at them sometimes the latest ones they're, they're very they're just esoterica trivia on modern woke philosophy and they're trying to go back and imp and impose it on the on the ancient world i remember when i went to graduate school this is just a detour but there was a wonderful guy an englishman mark edwards and he i came in and everybody had to meet the chairman he was the interim chairman and i didn't know who he was i was 21 kind of a bumpkin i he asked me who i was i was from uc santa cruz they were skeptical of that because there was no grade you know it was evaluations but I had all this Latin and Greek, and he was he quizzed me on that. And then he said, this is a very hard program. Do you have a problem? I said, well, I go home on weekends to help uh, my grandfather farm and my parents. So I might, and he said, well, that's a bad idea. What do you do in the summer? And I said, well, I, I, I farm. He said, that's a bad idea. And I want to tell you why, Mr. Hansen. We expect you, and this was serious. You have to have a reading knowledge of German, and you're going to have to pass a test. You're going to have to have a reading knowledge of French. You're going to have to have a pet test. You're going to have a three-hour sight translation. We're not going to of Greek, a three-hour sight translation of Latin. To get this degree, you're going to have to, at a future date, take a three-hour test in Latin literature. And you're going to ask you essay questions about all of Latin literature. The same will be true of Greek literature. The same will be true of Greek history. The same will be true of Roman history. And that's not it. Then you're going to have to pick three topics, and we're going to quiz you on those in your orals. And then you're going to have to have a defense of your thesis. And I said, oh, wow. He said, that's not it. You're going to take 12 seminars, and they're going to be in the specialty of the professor. And they were things like the manuscript tradition of Aeschylus' suppliants, the origins of the Olympic Games, whatever the professor was writing about at the time, and they were the experts on. And then I thought, okay. And he said, and you're going to have to pass a test in Greek writing in Greek, Greek composition or Latin composition. We're going to give it to you tomorrow. And even if you don't, even if you do pass it, we're still going to have to take three courses in Greek and Latin composition. And then he said, all those 12 seminars I just listed, we're not even going to let you take them for a year. You're going to have to take a rapid reading course where you're going to read one Greek play a week. So he, 
And I thought, oh, wow, what did I get into? I, I paid my way. Right. And then I, I went to my little right. apartment. And the next week, my parents hadn't talked to me in a week and said, how's it going? And I said, well, I, I went to school at 8 o'clock. I came home at 5. I was in class the whole time. And I went to the library and got all these books. And it's 10 at night. And I, I ate, you know, while I was reading at 6 in the evening. And I'm not I'm not even half done. I'm going to be staying up till two in the morning. And then I got to get up at eight. That's what I did. And they wouldn't allow you to work because they didn't have any T.A. And oh, and he said, you're going to T.A., but you're not going to T.A. your first year. But you're going to teach three classes as part yeah. of your supplement. And it was the most. And he said this. I thought this was funny. Half of you, your class will drop out. And he didn't mean that tragically, but that's good. Because we make a mistake. we Everybody makes mistakes. People can't do this program. And so I just had a big, you know, sign on the wall with 13 exams with the dates over the next four years. And then he said to me, and we want you because you're in Greek history, you're going to have to go to the American School of Classical Studies. Take a whole year to go there. I said, do I get credit? He said, no, that's in addition to this four years. So Jesus. for me, it was... When I got out of there, I, you know, I had been in school since 18 straight for eight years and I was dysfunctional. I came back and farmed for five years. But my point is this, that was a rigorous, rigorous program. And then you were free to go. You were what the idea was that we trained you like a carpenter or plumber. And then we let you out with the assumption and the guarantee that you would know the classical languages, you would know the elements of classical scholarship, to read in different languages, you could know etymology, numismatics, archaeology, epi epigraphy, etc. And we turn you out as a certified stamped scholar. That's not true anymore. It's right. not true at all. Now you're right. you're turned out as somebody who is woke, and you understand all of the eddies and currents of oppression and who's the victimizer, who's the victimizer, who's the oppressor. It's, it's deductive. And, and it's going to milk this for, for 20 years and live, live, live in luxury. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and the person yeah. who doesn't do that, you know, like all revolutionary movements, the person that doesn't do that is done for. So then that's right. the whole point. The minority that creates the revolution creates the conditions under which the people who don't want to join it do join it. Right. And the people who don't join it, good luck. They well, end up Victor, like Jonathan Katz at Princeton, who's fired with tenure. Right. All because he wrote an article saying that he, you know, disagreed with black students taking over an office. And it seemed to me almost a terrorist act he wrote. And then the next thing they knew, they did a give me, you know, give me the person and I'll find the crime type of barrier. Soviet inquiry. Well, we've got one more suicide-related topic to discuss on today's uh, podcast, and it's about Canada, and we will get to it right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower, your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, 
you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I would like to encourage our listeners to visit and subscribe to victorhanson.com. That's Victor's official home on the internet. And you will find many, many articles that Victor has written exclusively for that website. They're called Ultra. You'll go to the website, you'll click on one of them, and then you'll be quite disappointed because because if you're not a subscriber, you will not be able to access it. I believe there's the equivalent of two books a year worth of content that is exclusive to a Victor's website. Five bucks gets you in the door, $50 discounted rate for the year, victorhanson.com. And by the way, while you're there, and this is before Christmas, and Uncle Joe, Dad, whomever, military history buff, ancient history buff. Vic, click on the books. Every book Victor's written. Wait, did you say Uncle Joe? I said Uncle Joe. Well, Uncle Joe used to be Aunt Jane, but he... she. I know, but Barack Obama said that yesterday. Remember, he said that Herschel Wasker was crazy, and he says all kinds of crazy things, and he's like that person in your family, like Uncle Joe. I didn't know that. I was thinking of... You know, that was a Freudian slip on the part of Obama, because who was he referring to as Uncle Joe? Uncle Joe Biden. That lost his mind. Yes, Crazy he was. I he was that was so strange. Again, he was wandering around, sort of, on the White House grounds. You see that clip with him with uh, Macron? Where this, he had uh, a 43-second 40, <laughs> handshake, and the, yeah. Macron's like, get, get the blank <laughs> off my hand, man. What's wrong with you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think he uh, thought he was going to provide stability. It's going to get China. worse, and so far, he's pulled it off on one premise, that Joe Biden was always a nasty SOB. He was a blowhard. He was a mean-spirited person. He still is that characteristic, whether it's you ain't black or, hey, uh, dog face, dog face ponies. He's still that way. But now he's got the veneer that he has lost his cognitive abilities. So everybody right. said, that's just old Joe Biden, man. Come on, man. He, he doesn't know where he is. So don't judge him. 
he's got a pass on the idea that he's not mean Joe Biden. Nasty yeah. when he says un-American and you're semi-fascist. He calls people all of these names. Yeah. It's just Joe Biden. He's just lost his mind. So it doesn't matter. Be cool with that. Um, well, Victor, it's that's uh, that we have this this impaired, nasty SOB as leader of the free world is so damn discouraging. But anyway, before we get on to other things, I do have to make a plug for something else. Civilthoughts.com. Please go there. Sign up for Civil Thoughts. That's the free weekly email newsletter. I, Jack Fowler, write for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. I give a dozen, 13, 14 recommended readings. Here's the link. Here's the excerpt that I think, you know, people who are interested in, in, in a range of cultural, social issues would, would, you know, be interested in reading. Check it out. This We don't sell your names. It's, it's There's nothing transactional. We're not trying to sell you anything either. Civilthoughts.com. I know the people that, that subscribe do indeed like it. So, Victor, um, wow, the, the final suicide-related item here on today's podcast i saw this piece up on uh on uh, the daily mail and and i'm i'm personally you know, i'm catholic i believe suicide is wrong etc so it's a given i've always believed from 20 years back that that this might prove relative to other kind of related issues like abortion uh something that will be far more dramatic um and maybe even apocalyptic in a society uh, where where age is increasing, and and in particularly in some countries like China, where the demographics are just going to be so freaking upside down because of their one child policy. How are you going to handle a nation of geriatrics? So that's coming down the the uh, uh, pike. Although in some places it's already here, where suicide in some countries has become is now legal. Uh, legal why if you're disabled but it's increasingly becoming well i just want to I'm, I'm not feeling good i'm going to go just go off myself one thing if you want to make that decision still wrong by my view but in but now in canada it's being rec it's like it's recommended so here's the story disabled canadian and i'm reading the headline disabled canadian army veteran who's also a paralympian she attacks the canadian government for author offering to euthanize her when she complained about how long it was taking to install a stairlift at her home. Her name, Christine uh, Gauthier, she testified at the Canadian Parliament this past week, uh, December 1st. She's a paraplegic veteran. She sought help getting a wheelchair lift at her home. A veterans affair, a Canadian bureaucrat, a veterans affairs staffer, instead offered medically assisted suicide, she said. Government probe found at least four other veterans who were also offered suicide as an alternative to to the providing some uh, you know physical uh, need related to the handicap. Uh, Trudeau, the uh, prime minister, called the trend absolutely unacceptable and vowed to end it. Uh, BS. And final uh, thing, euthanasia has been legal for terminally ill patients in Canada since 2016, but last year in 2021, the law was expanded to include people with long-term disabilities. Victor, um, you know, government is, uh, I don't know, this is going to become uh, uh, soiling green or whatever, but government uh, has a 
has created this as a right now and but when the government starts starts dictating as opposed to the individual we are we are in we are in for something truly macabre coming up for western well, civilization. once you i mean once you legalize institutionalize normalize something that's wrong like abortion on demand or youth or in theory euthanasia then the left is going to take that to the logical extent and so and you combine that with a modern consumer society that's superficial like ours and basically you're saying if a person is a military veteran and has physical disabilities and costs society more for her care then according to the bankman freed utilitarian policies or utilitarianism in general or the modern value system then they take too much and they take it away from these you know deserving people so you get rid of that person and it's not that hard to justify once you go down that route i mean that's what hitler did right it started to kill people i'm not talking about that when he got into the full-blown holocaust i'm talking about the early days of dachau when he went after people with multiple multiple sclerosis and down syndrome etc you if you, you were a teenager that? with acne problems you were you were uh you were killed in, in nazi Germany. and so you That's think of this canadian logic died. so somebody like kim kardashian who's sexy and young 40s that person is the ideal citizen and the person who's a veteran or is older who's done things and may do things in the future if given assistance is not and that's sort of what this there's no morality or ethics to it it's just utilitarianism and so when we started out with the roe decision about abortion it was to stop everybody thought a woman going to a back alley or a person that had a legitimate medical and that got down you know to to aborting nine-month fetuses in about eight or nine thousand cases out of the million abortions a year so that's what you're going to do they always go to the logic extreme and that's what the euthanasia is i think that's what wesley smith and the discovery center and all those people were trying to warn everybody about once you green light something that its defenders will claim can be limited i.e a person's entire body is racked by cancer or they have two weeks to live and they're begin they're still getting radiation and painful chemotherapy with zero chance so you're going to allow them a euthanate okay maybe you can defend that but once you do that then it's downhill and there's no stopping it and the same thing we learned with abortion the same thing we learn with all these isms and ologies they all That's, have slippery slopes very yeah, slippery yeah. Right and we were you know them. just very quickly in, i was on fox last night they were talking about reparations and reparations is the same thing once you start discriminating on the basis of race through affirmative action and once you start playing god and saying that you can go back two centuries or half a century and you can level the playing field if you just give somebody the power and an all-knowing all oz and i can say that person right there oprah she may be a billionaire lebron james 
but they have been discriminated now and they're their ancestors of slaves, then you get what California just did. This Cut them a check. Yeah. Tell us about, so yeah, let's get into that. California has a, um, a reparations board uh, created by the legislature, uh, very radical members, nine member board. They've come out with um, a claim. Again, I'm looking at today's uh, December 3rd, the daily mail, um, every African-American slave de- descendant. I don't know how you, how do you determine that? Distinguish that, right? Is to receive two hundred twenty-three thousand dollars. That's at a federal mm-hmm. level. I'm not. I'm a little. I was a little confused by it at first. I thought, like, was California going to spend its its surplus? On- it has no surplus. It's twenty-five billion dollars in debt right now. It's a deficit. This next yeah. fiscal year, they've gone through the surplus. They've given gas subsidies. They've given legal alien subsidies. They've given COVID subsidies. They're broke. And Silicon Valley is melting down as we speak. So they're broke. One percent of this population pays fifty percent of the income tax. They're well, broke. Victor, Victor, let's get Gavin Newsom into this a little bit because I, I, you know, the story prejudices me in this regard. It's, it's calling it California Governor Gavin Newsom's reparation committee. Uh, he he. So he is t- tied uh, up with this. I mean, there's a legislature passed the law. He signed it, but. I have a feeling he's quite the advocate of it. Uh, so it's a it's a California thing, but it's I'm sure, like many California things. I'm sure it'll be uh, aped by uh, uh, you know other states or blue states will probably enact similar stuff. So talk about Newsom in, in this. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he thought he was running for president. And he thought he was going to be the green person and the reparations person and the tribe. In other words, every uh, left wing thrill is- issue, he was going to be the the most extreme. And that was going to capture the new Democratic Party. And it's absolutely absurd. They, the, the cost is like five hundred and fifty billion billion. And it's like two hundred and twenty thousand for African-Americans in California and think of it. So you can just imagine, I mean, okay, what if you're one quarter, one third, one fourth African-American? Right. Is it going to be sort of DNA badges where everybody's going to go in and get their DNA and say, you know, I'm 5% African-American. So I want 5% of that 220,000. Is there going to be, I don't know, means testing is Oprah, is Meghan Markle going to get it? I'm half black. I'm a duchess. I need it. And are you going to t- say to Jose Lopez on a forklift in Carruthers, you don't get anything. You make 15 bucks an hour. You work 50 hours a week. But we're going to attach your income and your payroll and all that income. And you're going to pay for this. Or is it the? what if you're African-American and you're in prison for killing somebody? Are you going to get it? You're going to say, well, I only killed somebody because my great great grandfather was a slave. And once you start this repertory idea, why don't you go back and we'll go. You know, when I was growing up, uh, it was right after John Steinbeck. uh, You know, I, I was born in 53 and John Ford, you know, we were all with the Grapes of Wrath and. My grandfather used to say there was a Methodist, there was a Presbyterian, and there was a Baptist church. And now we have Church of the Redeemer. 
and we have Church of Christ, and we've got Church of God, and we've got these holy roller tents, and we've got these itinerant preachers, and we've got all these Oklahoma people coming. He didn't mean it in a put down. He just said it changed the nature of the San Joaquin Valley that Steinbeck right. wrote about. And so, believe me, when I was in third or fourth grade, if you called somebody an Okie, that was the worst thing you could say. And nobody wanted to be hang out with the Okies. The, the people who were white thought they were better than the Okies, the third and fourth generation. Right. And uh, the Mexican-Americans called them Okies and white trash. And they were poor. They were poor as Mexican people. And they had weird accents. And I, I, my mom, who was, you know, a Democrat, and she'd always say, if I ever hear you use the word, the N-word or the O-word, O-word, Okie, not ever to, allowed to say that. And so are we going to go back and do that? How about the people who came from Mexico and they beat up uh, the zoo suitors in L.A.? Maybe we can go back and do that. And then the point is, we're going to do all of this, and then it's all under the uh, assumption that this is an awful country. And its its negativities or its negativism is much greater than its positivism. And so on the ledger, we're found wanting. So why would anybody want to stay here? Why would anybody come here? Why, why would anybody want anything? Because if you look at the commission... Every single person in that commission trashes the United States almost. Right. And it's, it's, I think out of 12, right. is there 10 African-American? I, I saw one uh, Asian guy. Yeah, what happened to the idea of conflict of interest? You know what I mean? So I'm going to vote for reparations, and I'm going to get $220,000 for myself. Are you going to exempt because you're, I mean, I'm on boards, and anytime there's a conflict of interest, I say, I have to recuse myself. I cannot vote on that funding for this particular group because I have been associated with that group. Why don't they do that? Nobody would do that. Maxine Waters is going to get it. She's going to get reparations given her right. Tony home and neighborhood and her financial gymnastics over the years with her husband siphoning off money. Uh, that's where you are right now. And it's, right. it's racist. It's going back to the past way back and picking winners and losers, it's, it's historically ignorant. California was a free state. There was never slavery in the state. There was never institutionalized Jim Crow. They had zoning laws that were racist, yes. And they applied that in my town. If you were Armenian American, you could not buy a lot in particular areas until the 1960s. And that was birds of a feather flock together philosophy. Wrong, yes. Right. But that was applied to almost every immigrant group. And it wasn't just racially specific. Believe me, if you were a poor Oki and you pulled into Fresno County in 1939 in a jalopy with that accent and some missing teeth and no money, people did not want you in their neighborhood. Right. And so we're going to go try to regress the past based on the principle that we're morally superior to the past. And yet, when I look at this present generation that's standing in judgment and using reparations to condemn everybody and even and out in the present, I'm saying to myself, well, I don't see anything especially morally positive in your culture. I see, you know, 40% of the homeless in, the, in California. I see some of the worst schools. 
I see some of the worst teachers. I see the highest gasoline taxes in the United States. I see energy the most expensive. I see one third of the whole state is on one third of all the welfare recipients nationwide are in California. 21% of the people in California live below the poverty line. Hey, I see San Francisco has the highest per capita crime rate, property crime rate in the nation. Let's address that first. I sit six miles from high-speed rail. I haven't been able to drive down Mountain View Avenue in three years. I see a $15 billion boondoggle running parallel where people are dying every day on a crowded, dangerous 99 freeway that Gavin Newsom deliberately did not improve so he could practice his utopia. I see poor people going into Walmart at 105 on August 10th because they get free air conditioning under the electricity rates today. They can't afford to turn on their air. So there's a lot of a lot of pathologies in the present. And I do not see Californians building dams. I don't see them capable of the California Water Project. I don't think they can invent great universities like Caltech anymore. I don't see that. And I'm sorry, but, you know, they're not going to build the Golden Gate Bridge or they're not going to build San Luis Reservoir. It's a very strange generation. It is so hypercritical and sanctimonious of the past, and it is so wanting and mediocre in the present. And they don't have any historical perspectives to stand away and say, how do I look at myself? compared to what other generations, given the challenges they had, did in history. Right. Because they would grade themselves an F. So it's like a bunch of people failing a class and then telling everybody the professor is incompetent. Yeah. So sad. What a beautiful state to be. To be uh... Paradise. They took a natural paradise, and they took an inheritance that was paradise, and they turned it into purgatory. Yeah. Well, Victor, we have just a little bit of time for one more uh, topic, and uh, that that's um, a military topic, and we'll get to that right after this final important message. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back. Uh, I quickly um, seems like very interesting, maybe important news. The U.S. military has unveiled the B twenty one Raider, a new stealth bomber designed to deter China. What are your thoughts? 
Well, I mean, I like the idea that we're going to build something that deters China, but I thought that we had a stealth bomber. Remember the B-2 that is no longer there, and it was kind of looked like this new one. And I thought that we were kind of going going against the idea that you have a few number of assets. These things are going to cost $500 million. And so if you build, a, you know, they, they're talking about building 100 of them, $50 billion. You lose one of them, it's $500 million. Actually, it says $700 million. Seven? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe I'm out of date. I just remember that that was when it first envisioned. So that was what was wrong with a B-2, and that's what's wrong with a B-1. And they're too expensive. And so what do we use? We use B-52s. Why? Because they're cheap, and they carry a hell of a big load. And they've got long range and they're updated with sophisticated electronics so that they can, you know, they don't have to actually go over the target. So we're in a world now where China is building massive numbers of small little missiles. So if you've got a $15 billion carrier with 5,000 people on it and you go in the South China Sea, at two in the morning, you may be facing, I don't know, 5,000 rockets, maybe four feet long, six inches above the water coming out of a batteries, million, you know, thousands of batteries. And they're going, how are you going to stop that? Just and one you, has to get through. Right. Yeah. And so when this big plane goes into China, maybe it's going to face 600, 700 of these missiles. And maybe it's going to get 699, but one will get through. My point is that there is a logic that transcends this discussion, and that is you need a lot of platforms that are cheap rather than a few platforms that are expensive. And we learned that in World War II when we produced thousands of bombers and thousands of fighter craft, and we didn't just focus. And who did focus on a few platforms? The Germans. They built 600, you know, King Tiger tanks. They built uh, 1,500 Tiger Ones. They built 6,000 Pan, and we built 50,000 Shermans. And maybe you can say that a Sherman wasn't up to a Tiger, but the Sherman was never going to face a Tiger, basically. It would be four Shermans, or they were going to face infantry. So we came up with the idea that we're going to get good platforms and a lot of them. So I would have much rather seen a, you know, a $10 million drone, a stealthy drone with a huge charge on it. And that would have, with, with thousands of them, maybe on something like a cheap carrier, uh, just a platform with a bunch of them on, and then just let them all go into China at once. So I don't understand this. And it's, you know, B-21, we think of the experimental B-29. And which was the biggest, most expensive project in World War II. But even then, they built almost 2,500 of them. And so it's just, you know, you're going to, I understand they're going to have two, two people, but when you look at the dimensions of it, um, it's not really an improvement over, you know, right. its speed is about not that much greater than a B 52. It's not going to carry as much as a B-52. 
I don't understand it. I really don't. All it's going to do is uh, earn criticism of the Air Force. When Can't there be some parallel program where they'll say, you know, if you guys want to do that, you can build 50 of them, not 100 or 20. And we're only going to build, we're not going to build the whole thing as we saw from right. the Raptor, but we can't afford it. But it just, it, can't we have another program where somebody says, I'm going to make a drone it's very cheap and it's going to have a it's going to be a suicide drone and it's going right. to go a foot over the ground and it's going to go at a thousand miles an hour and it's going to go into china if you need to and we're going to have about ten thousand of them it just just doesn't it doesn't i don't is understand this, it. is this a sort of topic we might see in a future issue of strategica yeah i think so i think we're we we've talked about china and our the vulnerability of the u.s fleet to it i think if you talk to people in the navy right now to take this other example they will tell you that you can't take a u.s fleet carrier in between taiwan and the chinese coast in a time of tension because they can't guarantee it won't be blown up they don't have the right. ability to defend it and the the assets that will blow it up are in the million dollar range not the right. billion dollar range and you could lose 5,000 people and 13 to $15 billion in investment like that. Right. And that thing will take eight to 10 years to build. So that's where the future is. And we're seeing that in the Ukrainian war with these Iranian drones. And you know what I mean? They're cheap. They were reverse engineered when they got one of ours during the Obama administration. But Russia's buying them like crazy and they're doing a lot of damage. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. And but vis-a-vis -vis the Ukrainians are doing the same thing. And so it's important to have tanks. And yes, but this war, as we see, is not a classical cursed tank battle. It's javelins and it's light missiles and it's drones. Not that you, tanks are still valuable, but even a tank today is is only eight to ten million dollars. It's not. And that's right. at the high end. It's not like this. Seven hundred million dollars. Yeah. I think the Air Force needs some new leaders. I mean, this is just, this is what the B, we had this fight with Jimmy Carter with the B-1 uh, bomber that's still in existence. Then we had the stealthy B-2 bomber that I guess went out of, it doesn't exist anymore. It's in mothballs. We had this with the Raptor fighter, this idea that you make this very, very sophisticated advanced weapon. But in terms of classical speeds and stuff, it's no more performative than earlier models, but it has all this in this enhanced uh, radar stealth ability and computerized stuff. But I think we're starting to learn now you can take an, an F-15 and F-16 and you've got the platform and you've got the engine and the power plant and it's got a proven ability and then you can refit it with some stealth uh, abilities and a, and a sophisticated computer system and you can make a lot of them a lot cheaper and that may be the way to go or yeah. at least to balance this but this thing this 700 million dollar bomber is going to come at the expense of a lot of stuff that's not going to happen right it's, too it's opportunity cost right it's going to be I, th I think originally they said it could be a drone uh, but now it's going to be a pilot with two people and so People are people. You take one person makes pilot error, and you you lose a skilled pilot and seven hundred million dollar investment, right? In training, and, 
And that's going right. to happen. It, it does happen. Happens. Right. Right. So I, I, it just, I don't know. It's just, it's part of this bewilderment of the, of the modern era, especially the military. Um, I just, every, all the news that comes out of the military today doesn't make sense. Why is the army only fulfilling 50 to 60 to percent of its recruitment? Why is Mark Milley still the chief chairman of the Joint Chief, given what he said, his wokeism, the Afghanistan catastrophe, his political activity with the Trump and the anti-Trump forces? Why is he still there? Why are we spending all this money on issues that are not having anything to do with battle efficacy? Why are we still having this military-industrial complex in the sense of the negative part that Eisenhower warned us about, you know? Right. He, he warned us about 60 years ago, 70 years ago. Why do we, you know, why do we, I should say 63 years ago, why do we have all of these generals still violating the code of military justice when they weigh in on political issues and disparage the commander in chief? Why do they do that? And it just, it, it all, it all has one common denominator. It loses confidence in the military and support for the military. So we're $31 trillion in debt, and Donald Trump increased the military budget and tried to get us back to where we were, and Biden is cutting it. And what are, what's the solution? A $700 million bomber? I don't see it. Well, Victor, that's about all the time we uh, have. Uh, thanks for those comments, by the way. Let's um, want to also thank our listeners. If you're new, welcome. Uh, if, you're, if you've been here a long time since the since we started this over two years ago, th thanks for hanging in there uh, week after week. Um, I don't think you think you're hanging in. By the ratings we receive, um, it's nearly five-star rating, 4.99, uh, as rated on uh, Apple Podcasts. Um, folks are enjoying it. So thank you. Hope 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 you're you're finding this uh, worth your time there are five or so now a week i do two victor uh sammy wink the great sammy wink does too and victor's victor's on a tear now interviewing uh people uh for it's a fifth episode yeah well let's tell you i'm scott not a very atlas. good interviewer you're <laughs> no no victor stop stop your interview with scott atlas really really good i just listened to you with troy senek really really good so these Troy was a good interviewer he yeah Oh, he's, 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 I'm going to appear on Scott Atlas's new podcast. So, oh, good. I'm What's looking it? forward to that. Who's, uh, well, I tell you what, after you do that, well, you'll link it, you'll link to it on, yes, your, I on will. the website. So. And I appeared on Megan. I, I go on Megan oh. Kelly's. I'm very, she's a very good interviewer. Oh, oh she's great. Yeah. I, 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 I love, you know, I, she, after leaving NBC, people thought, you know, that she got a good settlement that was good, but she's got a renaissance, man. She's a good interviewer. She's I, tough. I, she's candid. She's honest. I saw her a few weeks back. She spoke at the Yankee Institute today. We talked a little bit ahead of time. Uh, she, her talk was terrific. And uh, and uh, I know when I went out, went up to her, I know she, she's a fan of this of you and uh, and of this podcast. But I knew she knew my voice from this. Uh, maybe it's the grading quality of it. But anyway, Victor, um, not going to read a comment today from Apple, but one from. VictorHanson.com and somebody uh, in response to the piece we talked about er earlier, if you really wanted to destroy the United States, 
Eric McGear writes uh, this. Uh, sadly, much of this column could just as easily be written about Canada. The same devaluation of our country's past, the same crackpot green policies and suppression of our oil and gas industry, reckless governmental spending, and a mendacious, cynical governing party whose sanctimony and self-righteousness explain away its abuses of power. Added in a heavily subsidized, hence lickspittle media to provide cover, a docile electorate with little sense of the country's history and traditions, and an ideologically warped educational system at every level, and we seem to be following the same path over the cliff. As someone who once taught AP U.S. history, I like and admire the United States and share Professor Hansen's dismay at the needless ruination of a very great country. I can only hope that Ron DeSantis and a new wave of politicians worthy of their country can turn this around. That's Eric McGear. Thank you for that. Eric and everyone else who leaves comments on Victor's website and and on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, I know we all here do read uh, all of them. So thanks, Victor. You were terrific today. Thanks for all the wisdom you shared. Thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, I'll explain in another, another episode the basis of the Immaculate Conception uh, <laughs> that we started the show talking about. Actually, I should tell it now, Victor, just very quickly. It means that Mary... Mary, the mother of Jesus. I understand that. Oh, you did? Okay. Because not I know even the a, lot of don't, a lot of Catholics don't. Well, understand. then explain it to people. Oh, it's just that Mary was conceived without sin. You know, the premise, theological premise is the, the Son of Man could not come through a stained, uh, uh, tainted vessel, the mother. You know, so Mary had to be pure uh, to be the mother of, of uh, Jesus. So that's what uh, we. Uh, and it's so important a concept that it is considered today that and one upon in on which one must attend mass. Yes, and, and if I you don't, you it's that, a mortal sin. So anyway, and it was <laughs> the lore. People in my high school, which was very very restrictive in those days, all of the males uh, knew about it, so they could convince all of the virtuous Catholic girls that there was <laughs> nothing wrong with the sexual act. It didn't have to be immaculate. <laughs> and oh, the I wisdom. think they, I can. I think most of them failed in those persuasions. Because <laughs> right. I um, remember the locker talk in the in football and basketball, baseball. A A for effort, D D for D for deportment. Uh, well, very very good. Thanks, Victor, for everything. And we will be back soon, uh, friends, with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.